It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. From the Fox News Radio studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hey, welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show. So glad you're here. Bottom of the hour, the deep thinker, Ben Dominich, now Fox News contributor and also editor of The Federalist. He'll be with us. He took on the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. You don't really see conservatives doing that often, but he felt as always right, and he put a strong case together against General Milley. So unbelievably agonizing to see what's happening now. We're pulling out of Afghanistan at a breakneck pace. We're doing it slipshot. It's not necessarily keeping our guys in danger, which is good. But what is really scaring me is the Taliban are gaining rapidly. We are abandoning Kabul Air Base. We're turning it over to this evil regime who seem to be just killing our Afghan government guys that we trained, armed, and equipped. Nobody wants the Taliban. They're just supported by extremist forces around the globe, and now they're better financed than our guys. But uh, we'll talk about that at some point, but let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Not only do we need to defund, but we need to dismantle and start anew. I am for defunding the police. The bill could help ensure uh, local cops were kept on the beat in communities across the country. As you know, didn't receive a single Republican vote. What a stretch. Crime control. Not possible if you keep cutting police budgets, but that's exactly what Democrats are doing. Then they're beginning to panic as 2022 looms, the midterms. Their latest tactic, deny and deflect to the opposition party. Blame Republicans. Nice try. Number two. If you know your history, you know the full song of the national anthem. The third paragraph speaks to slaves in America. It's disrespectful and it does not speak for black Americans. It's obvious. There's no there's no question. If you are want to dive down deep to the third stanza of the national anthem and decide that you want to turn your back on the country, good luck, hammer thrower Gwen Berry. It doesn't look like the third verse is ever sung. But if you want to dive into the third verse, there's a strong opinion that those are about Marines that are impressed well, by the British troops, by the British Navy, which is why the war was starting in the first place. That's really what you have a problem with with the country. Her Olympics effort is the link to this protest. And guess what? There's a anti-cop group that is financing her training for the Tokyo Olympics. You'd think she would be happy. Gwen Berry, now front and center in the news. Number one. What was the origin of COVID-19? We've asked that question for more than a year and requested that the House majority hold hearings to investigate the origins of COVID-19. Perplexingly, Speaker Pelosi has refused to allow a single hearing, calling it a diversion. This is far from a diversion. That is uh, Congressman Steve Scalise. Lab leak theory is gaining massive momentum as key scientists now have been exposed to having links to the Chinese military in Wuhan. This begs the question, why are the Republicans forced to have their own hearing? Why aren't the Democrats using this as an opportunity to realize we can unite behind one common enemy, the coronavirus and the origins, and see where it leads us? Where was Dr. Fauci? He missed an opportunity to perform. Perform? This was, did someone tell him it was going to be on television and he still didn't show up? Hard to believe. So yesterday, the minority party had a, uh, had a committee meeting. And you didn't have any Democrats show up. I don't know why. Because the origin of the pandemic 
is something that interests everybody listening to me right now, which means around the world. I mean, you, you, cover, you get the stream on Fox Nation around the world. You get BrianKilmeadeShow.com. Everybody listening to me should be concerned about how this started because it could start again. We're still dealing with variants. But we can tackle them. But what about the next one? How are we going to pressure the Chinese to be honest about what's about to hit us? Admiral Brett Juror says that this more and more looks like a lab link. And then when we, after you hear from him, I got news for you from NBC of all places. Cut 19. There will be other pandemics in the future. And if there's something we need, not just Congress, and I know you need it, but the American people in the world needs it, is truth and transparency and openness and trust. And when public officials who are supposed to have our trust don't show up to members of Congress, I think that's a problem. And now one of those public officials is Anthony Fauci. Have we got a day without hearing from him? Yesterday was the day we couldn't hear from him at a hearing about the coronavirus. Never has a problem answering questions, even when he doesn't have close to a clue to have an answer for it. So NBC News has this story reported that it uncovered evidence linking Dr. Shi Zengali, just know her. She's the virologist known as the Bat Lady from Wuhan, linking her to military scientists she collaborated with. You don't know these names, but I'll just give them to you. Tom Ying Gang, a military scientist and a coronavirus research in 2018. And then with Zuo Yusen, another military scientist in December 2019. Zuo, who was listed as deceased in the footnote of the article in 2020, the report said it could not confirm the cause of of death. David Asher, a former State Department advisor who co-authored the fact sheet last January, you see him all over Josh Rogan's book, on activity inside the lab, told NBC News that he is confident the Chinese military was funding a secret program and involved with the coronavirus. Is there anything more important? Jim Jordan, cut 20. I mean, you couldn't go, you couldn't go a day. You couldn't go a day and not see Dr. Fauci somewhere. He was everywhere. I mean, he was like, he's like man of the millennial or whatever time declared him. I mean, he was everywhere. And now, now when we have emails that he's sending out at 12 and 2 in the morning and we have this gain of function that didn't go through the process it's supposed to go through and we have all this, this evidence, suddenly you can't find him. What do you want me to say to that? Uh, he might be a good guy. I have He has done more to hurt this country than anyone else. I don't know if he is even pretending, if he even has good intentions at this point. But the circle is closing, and Democrats should be just as outraged as anybody else. He was the one who told us to wear masks, not to wear masks. He's the one who told us, don't worry about it. He's the one that kept everything locked down, 30 days to slow the spread or 15 days to slow the spread. A year and a half later, we're finally getting rid of it. Remember, he said we're not going to have a vaccine for a year and a half. Wrong, 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 wrong. And where was he yesterday? Well, listen to the interview he found time to do on Instagram, Cut22. This is with a Allison Holker, who I think is a dancer. Hi, Allison. How are you? Fine, thanks. How are you doing? I'm doing really great. I am so incredibly excited to be able to have the chance to speak with you. So I just want to thank you, like, for taking the time. I think it's amazing what you're doing. Well, I thank you very much. It's really my pleasure to be with you. Thank you for having me with you. Oh, amazing. Well, I'm excited that I have the opportunity to speak with you, as there is so much talk about these vaccines right now. Okay, what is he doing? 
Who is Allison Holker? Uh, Eric or Pete, do you have any idea who she is? Why would he be doing I mean, I couldn't believe he did Steph Curry's podcast. And uh, Steph Curry is a guy everybody knows. But he's a basketball player, and, you you know, we're in the middle of a pandemic. Should that be what you're doing? Shouldn't you have a lab coat on there with a beaker trying to figure something out? Or doing a math equation or coloring a pie chart or a, or a bar graph? Do you know who she is, Eric? I know she was very pleased with the doctor. Pete doesn't know either. And, Pete, you know your dancers. You collect all the dancing cards. So she must be obscure. But I, it reminds me of what Dr. Marty McCarry told us a couple of weeks ago on this show. Uh, he is a doctor who is credible and willing to call things as he sees them uh, as he was trained at Johns Hopkins. Cut 21. I mean, it's been exhausting. And, I'm, you know, I'm one guy. There's a lot of doctors who believe in this. But we can't compete with Dr. Fauci on every single network 10, 14 hours a day, Brian. I mean, there'll be a podcast that invites me on. My staff will look at it and say, you know, Marty, there's only 12 listeners and three ratings on iTunes. This is not worth your time, and we're going to decline for you. And then I find out Dr. Fauci was on there. I mean, this guy, we can't, can't compete with this. So, I mean, that's a doctor. He just can't believe, he's just being honest. The, you know, you might say, well, Brian, you're not a scientist. You don't know. Other doctors are telling us this. He doesn't know. You know he's BSing so many times. He's using these words that don't make sense. He's a filibuster, and he never pushes the ball forward. Allison Holker. Allison is a, she is known for her appearances on the television com- competition show, So You Think You Can Dance. So Anthony Fauci found time for Allison Holker, who's probably a wonderful person. But to do an interview with this 33-year-old dancing judge, but can't find time for Steve Scalise. Nuts. Listen, I, I don't want to open up my second talking point, but we'll, we'll leave it at this. The origin of the virus is everyone's interest. NBC is pushing the ball. This is time. And there's a rare time, like, for example, infrastructure, bridges and tunnels and roads, where we can get together, even though there's problems with that, and we'll discuss it later. This is another thing that we could agree on. Just like we knew the Soviets were the enemy, Democrats and Republicans, China, we have to line up as a competitor slash enemy slash rival. And when it comes to this pandemic, all bets are off about what they're up to. We all should want to know. This is the type of thing that could bring us together. Instead, Dr. Fauci, not allowed or chooses not not to go to a hearing to ask real questions. Instead, Allison Hoker, the floor is your Instagram one 866 I'll take some calls and get back. Listen, I know you don't trust the phones. I didn't either. But now we're halfway through the week, and they've been working for three days. one 866 This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. Getting past all the rhetoric. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hey, folks. It's your man, Keyshawn Johnson, here to talk about Angie. Formerly known as Angie's List, your go-to home services. Marketplace for getting all your jobs done well. Now, you might be wondering, what exactly is Angie? Well, let me tell you. It's the nation's largest home services marketplace, connecting over 150 million homeowners with skilled professionals to tackle any project, big or small. As a homeowner myself, I always have things I want to work on for my house, whether it's general home renovations or fun projects like putting in a pool. With over 200,000 pros in their network, Angie makes it a breeze 
to research, compare, and hire pros, ensuring every job is done well. Whether you're fixing a leaky faucet or planning a full kitchen renovation, Angie's got your back. And get this, folks. Angie's pros aren't just any old contractors. They're your neighbors, often running small businesses right in your community. Plus, they've been rated and reviewed by others in your area. So you know you're getting quality service. So why stress over home projects when you can turn to Angie? From finding the best price to scheduling a pro at your convenience, Angie's got you covered every step of the way. So get started today at Angie.com. That's Angie.com or download the app today to get started on getting all your jobs done. That's Angie, your trusted ally in home services. As many of you know from your own life experiences, a life in so-called blue-collar work is something to be proud of. It is very rewarding to work that has impact on your friends, your neighbors, and your family's lives. Great successes can be had in the blue-collar career. There's no degree requirement for achieving comfort, peace, and freedom. While schools cut shop classes and funnel students into colleges, there are plenty of options for hard workers who are ready to take advantage of open positions. Many young people today assume that college is the only way to achieve success in life. That is not true. Let me introduce you to Ken Rusk. Ken spent his younger years digging ditches and working in construction. He never went to college. Instead, he made goals, planned, and worked hard for 30 years. Now Ken is a successful entrepreneur with multiple businesses and revenue streams. In his national best-selling book, Blue Collar Cash, Ken shares his insights from over 30 years of working in blue-collar trades as an entrepreneur, mentor, and life coach. Now he's created a guide made specifically for you and your unique situation. This guide will give you or someone you love the tools you need to start designing the life of their dreams. You can achieve your dreams regardless of your educational background or your past. Go to KenRusk.com path to learn more. That's KenRusk.com path. A talk show that's real. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. So here's the latest moments of President Biden wrestling with the teleprompter. Even though it's so controversial and ridiculous, he stepped on his own message when he came out and said, I have an infrastructure deal. He was so proud of himself. It's bipartisan. The senators were praising each other in the parties. And the president, two hours later, he came out famously on Thursday and says, I'm not going to sign the bipartisan deal without the reconciliation deal. Breaking it down, everything the Republicans pushed out, the preschool, the lunches, the uh, militia, the green militia is going to go around and uh, arrest people for not using uh, I don't know, uh, fire instead of light. So all this stuff that the Republicans negotiated out, he says, I'm going to put another bill and I won't sign one without the other. Mitt Romney on down was outraged. So you got to be kidding me. What did I waste my time for? Why did I negotiate this out? And then Democrats said, I'm not, Nancy Blue says, I'm not signing a record, your bipartisan bill. There's not enough in it. It's a trillion dollars. You don't mind if I whisper like Joe does? It's a trillion dollars. It's not enough in it. It's the biggest infrastructure bill ever. Not enough in it. So he decides, I'm just going to I'm going to do the but he wrote back. He walked it back Saturday with a long letter and said, I'm only going to sign the bipartisan bill. I'll work on reconciliation on a separate track. So let's say for now, damage control, he goes out to his content to explain what this bipartisan deal would be. Man, he struggled. 32. Please, please, please sit down. I once said that in the big crowd in the evening. I said, please sit down. And there were no seats. They were out in the football field. <laughs> and the press pointed out Biden's losing it. And I can see you all had seats. This bipartisan breakthrough is a great deal for the American people. Not just for folks in cities, not just for red states or blue states, but for everybody. 
this job, this jobs, the jobs that are going to be created here, largely would be those for blue collar workers. Just struggles, man. I mean, and then he goes out and goes gets ice cream again. Can you imagine if Donald Trump got ice cream again? Let's do these. Qu- this is a question from a reporter. He goes and decides he wants to get ice cream. They'd be making jokes about Donald Trump's weight. Look how bad he eats. Cut 31. You're not getting in uh, Rocky Road for infrastructure? Well, I'll tell you. Uh, I'll tell you. It's not a Rocky Road. We're going to get it done. Can you imagine if just once in a while they broke up during the Trump years with some fun? The guy was fun. He was always accessible. Ratings were high. There's a big story the other day about how people are just tuned out to news these days. Fox doing the best out of all by far. But uh, everybody's down because Donald Trump was so interesting, but they just wanted to vilify him 24 hours a day. Late night ratings have plummeted. Stephen Colbert, whole Monday about how bad Donald Trump's Saturday rally was. Really? You got to go lean on a Saturday rally that was televised on Newsmax with highlights on news shows? There was a time in which you reacted to the news. You didn't have a political agenda. Scott, listen, WVFT in Florida. Hey, Scott. Hey, Brian, how are you? Good morning. Good, good. What's on your mind? So I think what's on my mind is that regardless of what's going on, and we have all these side issues of Fauci in the media and things we can't change, I think we really need to get our ground game as Republicans going for 2022. I think that's the root cause. Ground game with what message? You mean you want to get people out there, activists, knocking on doors, and that's fine. And that, that's what almost got the Republicans to the House in 2020. But the message should be critical race theory, number one, border mess, number two, and number three, flooding the zone with money we don't have to keep people from jobs that they should be working in. Correct. I agree. I think that the message, and I hate to use the term common sense because it's been hijacked in the media, but I think true common sense to the public people, as you see in polling and and around your kitchen table, is that people understand they need these jobs. People understand that you have to work. People understand we need police. I think if we go and have this um, this acceptability and, and this openness to, hey, look, this is not really our message that you hear in the media. Our message is the common man, the worker. We can go all the way back through history and, and show that. Then I think that we need to get the young people involved and, and get the common people that are polling in that favor and really capitalize on it. You're right about focusing on younger people. Republicans tend to give up on that. They shouldn't. Number two is you're right about the glory of work. You know, there's there's virtue in work. Uh, they're working your way up. Well, that job doesn't pay a lot. I get a lot to stay at home. No, you don't. You might get to you, you have to start your career. Don't tell me you get more money to stay at home. Well, they don't charge rent. They they they're, they're making sure that I'm never evicted from my apartment and I'm getting my supplemental unemployment insurance. There's no incentive for me to do anything. What about personal goals and values and virtue? I want to start my career. Waiting in my house, in my, in my flip-flops, is not starting a career. There's got to be some talk like that. Don't be afraid to tell people to get a job. There's 9 million open and 10 million Americans in need of a job. Reince Priebus has talked about where we're at right now as a country from the border uh, to this uh, bipartisanship that's not happening to pulling out of Afghanistan 
He offered this assessment last night, cut 33. In just six months, what the Democrats have done in, in heading us into this sort of a destruction of everything that was built in this country. You talk about shooting up cops. You have illegal immigrants pouring over the border. You have Olympic athletes turning their back on the, on the flag. You have... Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton Withrow. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my name is Chad. His name is Jonathan. But you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. Men competing as women, breaking weightlifting records, and, and, and this is all to be applauded by the Democrat Party, but it's going to catch up with them because 80 percent of the American people in a poll last month said that illegal immigration is a serious issue, and 68 percent of those people said that it was Joe Biden that was encouraging illegal immigration. If you look at what's happening at the border, unless you have the worst interests of the country in mind, you're very upset. Now they want, they're going ahead and they're telling people, don't pick up anybody or process anyone 18 to 21. Really? Don't process anyone 18 to 21? Just let them disappear into the infrastructure of our country? When we come back, Ben Dominich will try to make sense of it, offer some his unique perspective on it. Fox News contributor, publisher of The Federalist, and you see him all over the channel. And then we'll finish up with your calls. Busy day, one 408 7669. You listen to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Don't move. Fox Nation presents podcasts, Women of the Bible Speak. I'm Shannon Bream, host of Fox News at Night and author of the new book, Women of the Bible Speak, the wisdom of 16 women and their lessons for today. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, foxnewspodcast.com, or wherever you download your podcasts. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. For them to run out and claim that it's Republicans who want to defund the police, that's like an arsonist showing up at the fire and blaming the firemen. That's like the Chinese blaming the Americans for the Wuhan virus. That's like OJ saying he's going to help find the real killer. That's like Democrats saying they're the ones that want to build the wall. It's absurd. It's ridiculous. And they know it. But you know what? They're also counting on the media, all encircling Joe Biden and saying, poor Uncle Joe, he doesn't want to abolish your police. Well, last time I checked, Bill de Blasio, the Democratic mayor of New York, campaigned on defunding the police, cut a billion dollars from the NYPD. And you know what? De Blasio was standing on that same Democratic stage with Joe Biden. He took out uh, $1.2 billion. Now there's a big push to get more money out of the NYPD who are... Uh, hundreds of cops down. $20 million goes out of Austin, Texas. Uh, there was millions that have gone out of Minneapolis, Portland, Seattle. And now you're seeing it in Baltimore, too. And, and I'm, as I mentioned, Minneapolis, where it all actually started, 
So it's been unbelievably frustrating and laughable that Democrats see how bad it's going for them when it comes to law and disorder. Now they try to blame Republicans. Please don't tell me you're buying that. Let's bring in Ben Dominich, Fox News contributor and publisher of The Federalist. Ben, well, and Fox News contributor, as I mentioned, but he's also got his podcast, The Ben Dominich Podcast. Hey, Ben, welcome back. Were you surprised? Good to be with you, Brian. you surprised the theme Sunday was Republicans didn't support the one point nine trillion, so therefore they're responsible for the lack of cops. You know, I mean, clearly now this is uh, you know a, a situation that can be exploited for all types of benefits. I mean, all you need to do is add some local money to something that could conceivably be spent on cops, uh, and then that makes every bill a cop bill. <laughs> you know, what yeah. I mean, just every single one. If you oppose this, you oppose cops. Um, so look, the the thing that the thing that really, uh, you know, puts the uh, uh, puts the icing on the cake for the audacity of what they're trying to spin here, which is something that you know, frankly, no one is going to actually believe. You know, just given the the vociferous and loud nature of the push to defund the police that clearly to the American people was coming from the left uh, over the course of the past year, is that you know, this same weekend, you had uh, the Lori Lightfoot press conference that uh, happened on Friday, where she insisted, this is the Chicago mayor, of course, that crime is on the decline. That's something she said, you know, in response to a question uh, that was asked of her about, you know, off the charts rise in in violent crimes in the city uh, and whether she's lost control. She says, you know, that the facts are not bad and we're actually seeing declines. But according to (laughs) just every piece of data that we have from Chicago, She's just lying. That's just not true. We see rise in violent crime that is, you know, across the board. Not the only place that you see uh, some declines is burglary, and that's probably because everybody's still home because of the <laughs> ah. uh, permanent pandemic. Yeah, it's hard to so, break in when they're home. Uh, yeah, I mean, the, yeah, yeah. we just had the Oakland police chief on. They told him, mm-hmm. even though crime is as high as there as anywhere in the country, they're cutting seventeen million out of his budget. And he comes on our show. He's like, "Listen, you can't." Ask me to do this job and cut my budget, and my cops are quitting anyway. Yeah, I mean it's it's really infuriating, and and I think that what we're really seeing here is something that uh, is of increasing concern to national Democrats in a way that uh, really snuck up on them. Uh, and let's let's just step back and look at the politics of this for a moment. You know uh, that across the country, uh, backed in many instances by money from George Soros. Uh, there was a ton of money poured into these local prosecutor races, trying to elect uh, these far-left prosecutors who really don't believe uh, that they ought to be prosecuting any of these, what they consider low-level nonviolent crimes, which obviously can also include a lot of things that that are really bad. Uh, And of course, their rationale for that is, you know, based on, oh, well, these are just, you know, ways to punish people according to systemic racism, and they're not about keeping law and order. It's all a bunch of BS. But the point is, they were very successful at winning a lot of these elections by winning primaries in blue cities across the country. Cut to a few years later, and people are looking around and wondering why, wait a minute, why is violent crime going up when we can't arrest somebody if they walk into a Walgreens and just take everything that they want off of the shelf? And that's something that I think is really you know, a, a, an obvious thing that was going to happen. It's something that we learned about in New York uh, in the past. And I think that in this case, you know, Democrats are kind of stuck at the national level. They're looking around and saying, oh, no, the, you know, letting all these progressive leftists 
take over our agenda when it comes to criminal uh, behavior and the enforcement of the law. That actually is something that's hurting us now, and it's, it's going to be potentially you know, politically damaging. Uh, but none of them are really willing to go on the record and criticize it openly. I mean, uh, Byron York made the point uh, just last night, I believe, on a special report that <laughs> there was a Washington Post report about this where – you know the the person who was criticizing it, the person who was saying, you know, we we can't, uh, uh, you know, uh, have this sort of go in this direction, was uh, doing so anonymously, and that's because they're afraid of the progressives, they're afraid of the far left, they're afraid of the squad, uh, and they're afraid of being called racist if they just say, hey, we ought to enforce the laws that we have on the books, which right. is insanity. Right. I mean, you had you basically had AOC come out and say, don't be hysterical about crime. It's really not that bad. And then the Bronx executive came out and said, really? Are you kidding me? Go see our senior citizens in the Bronx. They are scared to death to go outside. We're watching bulls ricochet uh, off walls hit Marines in the middle of the day over the weekend. And you got this congresswoman from New York City claiming it's not that bad. Are you kidding me? It's, it's nuts. Absolutely nuts. And guess it's absolutely who? Nuts, and Brian. she's embarrassing people like James Clyburn, who and and Barack Obama, who both came out and said, "Stop with this attack on cop. You've overdone it. It's not working. It will destroy us." And I'm enjoying watching this intramural fight. Are you? Well, I mean, I, the, the reason that I'm not enjoying it is only because. I feel like this is going to do some significant damage to some great American cities, and it's only going to continue. I don't see an immediate path out of it. I do think, though, that we're seeing uh, a finally, finally, some people waking up to the fact that uh, you know their ideas have consequences. You can't just push something like defund the police and act like things are going to be hunky dory. You can't pretend like you can just you know sweep away any of the difficulties of the. the challenges that come with policing in America today uh, and not have any ramifications for it. Look, we, we should be happy with the fact that we don't have the levels of violent crime that existed back in the 1970s. But what we should be uncomfortable with is the level of concentrated violent crime that we're seeing in American cities that we know how to solve that we've dealt with before, but that we're unwilling to deal with right now because of the politics of the moment and because the far left has taken over this aspect of the democratic agenda. That's something that's heinous. It's wrong. It puts American lives at risk. It puts the lives of cops at risk. Uh, and I hope that people will uh, you know, engage and reconsider. And keep in mind, you know, Brian, there's all sorts of reforms that can be done Within the way that we adjudicate laws, the way that we punish uh, different offenses and the like, that probably ought to happen. And that, that frankly, you know, President Trump was someone who was actively pushing when it came to a lot of these different things. But when it comes to violent crime, you cannot tolerate this. This cannot go on. And yet the attitude seems to be, as I mentioned from Lori Lightfoot, uh, as Ted Cruz mentioned at the, at the top in his, in his quote, there's just total denialism about this. And now they're trying to gaslight the country and it's pretending that it was a Republican idea. This is just absurd. You wrote about this stuff in the New York Times. You said it on the stage. This is, this is not something that you can push over. Oh, it's really you who wanted this thing all along. It's all ridiculous. Right. And I would play a montage, but I've, I, I don't want to take up your time. I saw you take on General Milley, and this really transfers into what I'm seeing now in Afghanistan. story in the L.A. Times today talked about how we're giving up the Kabul air base. Now, you might say to yourself listening to us right now, well, we're tired of these foreign wars. 
Are you tired of having a base nestled between our enemies, Russia and China? Are you tired of having an eye on al-Qaeda and ISIS? Because all those people have evil intentions towards us in one way, shape, or form. And what we're doing, we're putting blinders on and pulling out and turning it over to this extremist Islamic organization who are going to be dancing on our flag in bases that we built the American way. Ben, this is driving well, it, me nuts. We're not paying attention to this. Well, one of the things that, I mean, <laughs> this will get into the weeds a little bit, but, you know, a few months back when there was that meeting that happened uh, in at the White House where General Milley was in attendance, uh, you know, he went on, you know, a, a bit of a spiel about what he needed to happen in Afghanistan, and it was dismissed as being this emotional and illogical presentation uh, that uh, Lloyd Austin, the, the defense secretary, kind of waved away and said, well, we're going to, you know, evaluate this more pragmatically. To me, he, he ought to be spending a lot more time uh, making the case or figuring out what we ought to do. And again, this is this is the failure of American policy in the region generally, which has been going on under bipartisan leadership and under our generals for far too long. There's not a clear plan. There's not a clear uh, attitude. It's just been incoherent. Uh, it's been incoherent under Barack Obama. It was never able to reach the finish line under President Trump, and it's back to the incoherence under Joe Biden. And the only people People who are going to benefit from this are going to be Americans who hate uh, are going to be the the people who hate Americans uh, and uh, and are going to work against our interests. Uh, the lack of coherent strategy and the lack of coherent goals uh, that determine you know the the outcomes that we want to achieve leads to this kind of degradation. And, we, uh, and right. uh, unfortunately, you know, look, we're looking at an armed forces that has been in this area for so long. And, unfor- and you know, we honestly, the Americans don't feel like we have a lot to show for it. And they're not wrong to have that kind of feel. Ben, in a way. But what you do is you tell the story of what we learned about al-Qaeda and ISIS. And do you think it's a coincidence that we haven't had a plethora of attacks here? You know what they had planned. And you know what we have done. And you know what? Nothing's been perfect, and this is not a war that you go to win right now. What you do is every day that that regime is in power, and Kahani we can work with, unlike Karzai, who's a nut job. And you had somebody, yeah, we cannot support them forever. There could have been a a degradation plan where we gradually stand them up. There might have been an overall focus for their rare earth minerals that that are in the earth rather than let China dig them up. We might have been able to lead that charge. And then every day we're there, we have a better idea what our enemies are up to. And that could have been explained uh, to the American people. Unfortunately, we're going to have a a sloppy, uh, you know, withdrawal that ends up with, uh, you know, a a real crushing, uh, you know, defeat for a lot of people who we were able to work with. Uh, And then we'll be back there in a couple of years. I mean, I don't think so. It's not going to be like Iraq. (laughs) It's not going to be like you go through Kuwait and get back in Iraq because Afghanistan, there's going to be Taliban's going to be in that country. We had a government there, but the Taliban's going to take it in within six months, maybe a year. And then we're not even going to be able to to man our embassy. I'm not sure it'll even I'm not sure it'll even take that long. But yes. (laughs) So I got to ask you this, um, uh, Ben, what did it take? What put you over the top to take on? the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, uh, General Milley. And what's been the ramifications of doing that? Because it was well-written, unbelievably well, delivered. Well, just a deluge of, of, of emails from, um, from veterans, from Army vets, who, uh, and, and including people who are still in or in the reserves, um, thanking me for, for what I said. And what really put me over the top is, I mean, you know that um, my family's an Army family. My, my uh, brother is uh, you know, still in. And it's one of these situations where the 
the amount of pushback that he's been getting for steadily voicing these kind of indignant, uh, woke defenses of his policy, engaging in domestic uh, politics in a way that they you know, feel is inappropriate, uh, was just something that had been a drumbeat for a while. And I think that you know, in this, his outburst happened the other day, got the plaudits of the left because most of the critiques that he was responding to came from someone they hate in Congressman Gates. Uh, but the point is that the critiques were valid, and his dismissal of them and uh, engagement in this kind of grandstanding just doesn't fly with a lot of people who are in the Army today who are very familiar with the things that he's actually done when it comes to his leadership and over the course of his career. Uh, and unfortunately, as I said in my, in, my, you know, uh, uh, in my monologue, I really do believe that the turn of uh, America's generals into these uh, politicians – who uh, you know, stay far past the point of when they ought to retire, who occupy positions that are much more uh, along the lines of, of senators than they are generals. It's really turned out to be dangerous for us as a country, and it really de degrades uh, faith uh, in the kind of leadership that we have. And I don't say this out of animosity towards them as people, because I think, you know, as a leadership class, you can't paint with a broad brush. Not everybody has this attitude that General Milley does. But I do think that we should be, as, uh, as civilians, as people who, have, who care about what America's role is around the world, as people who are engaged in politics, and as people who have family who are serving in these places overseas, we have just as valid of a position to uh, conduct oversight over these military leaders um, as uh, as we've had historically and, and as we ought to be. We are not someone – we are not a country that right. ought to invest uh, a just a blank check in military leadership and say that they can't be – they're above criticism just because all the other faith and in institutions in America has degraded the, uh, so much over the past. Well, it was well put and it was well explained. Uh, ben, it definitely made an impact. Ben Dominich, thanks so much. Fox News contributor, publisher of The Federalist. You see him all over the channel. You could also get his podcast, The Ben Dominich Podcast, right here on uh, on Fox. Hey, Ben, thank you. Great to be with you as always, Brian. Take All right, care. you got it. Uh, meanwhile, we come back. I'll be able to squeeze in some calls. One eight six six four zero eight seven six six nine. What do you think of President Biden yesterday? Did he explain to you and sell you on the bipartisan infrastructure deal? We'll talk about it. Expanding your knowledge base. It's Brian Kilmeade. It's the Hammer Time Podcast. Fox News Channel's Bill Hammer takes you one-on-one -on -one with engaging personalities covering the critical issues of the day. Find Hammer Time now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. We're back, 1-866-408-7669. Just got a few moments here. Yesterday, it was pretty intense. I mean, they brought in some of the people that we've interviewed on a show, from the Science Magazine to uh, uh, Michael McCall doing out of the investigating, to Brett Giroir, who was handling the pandemic response for, for uh, President Trump, which is facts and concerns, not about Democrats. Not about even Anthony Fauci, just to find out where this disease started. And they're getting closer and closer to going right to what Australia picked out right away, that Wuhan lab. And Brett Gerard made it clear, all things are pointing to that. Michael McCall, 
the congressman from Texas. Cut 19. As we continue this investigation, I believe it's time to completely dismiss the wet market as a source of the outbreak. We have a conf- have confirmed case 10 days before the wet market cluster that had no connection to the market itself. In fact, I would say this is a diversion by the CCP and all roads point to the lab. That signals to me as a prosecutor that the CCP was worried about something at the lab before the world knew, even knew, what COVID-19 was. Why else would they put the Chinese military in charge? It doesn't make any sense. Uh, The military was there to clean up. Now, a lot of times the military helps out, but to clean up in a scientific lab, why were they even there to begin with? NBC has a report that the so-called bat lady, who now is all propaganda, but in the beginning she uh, evidently was quoted as saying that she's concerned that the pandemic might have come from the lab. Since that time, the government's got a hold of her, obviously, and she's spinning that there's no way that'll happen. Well, she's interacting with two separate military officers, members of the Chinese Communist Army, uh, uh, People's Army. One has died already. The other one is still active. Why was she dealing with them? And were they working on bioweapons? Was this a mistake? Worth talking about. Get this in all your favorite Fox News podcasts ad-free on Apple Podcasts with Fox News Podcasts Plus. Just go to foxnewspodcasts.com for all the details. Live from the Fox News radio studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. I'm happy to say that Britt Hume will be with us shortly, and at the bottom of the hour, Clay Travis will be here. Do you hear what's happened with this mayoral race in New York City? So the Democrats are favored to win, even though Curtis Lee will be a strong contender. But they found out with this new election system where you can rank your top five picks for uh, mayor, they found out that they, by mistake, counted 130,000 test ballots that obviously would run and counted before the actual election just to make sure this new system was working. They counted it. And it was Eric Adams, the leader, that picked out. There's 930,000 ballots. I thought there were 800,000. They say, oops. How they're going to fix it, I don't know. How embarrassing and inept is this leadership in this state? Hard to quantify. Let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Not only do we need to defund, but we need to dismantle and start anew. I am for defunding the police. The bill could help ensure uh, local cops were kept on the beat in communities across the country. As you know, didn't receive a single Republican vote. Right. It's Republicans that wanted to fund the police. Does anyone believe that? Crime control. Not possible if you keep cutting police budgets, but that's exactly why Dems are beginning to panic about 2022. Their latest tactic is deny and deflect to the opposition party. Nice try. Number two. If you know your history, you know the full song of the national anthem. The third paragraph speaks to slaves in America. It's disrespectful and it does not speak for black Americans. Right. It's obvious. There's no there's no question. Right, so I can't possibly stand for the national anthem if the third verse is not to my liking. And there's a huge contention to what she just said. I'm talking about Gwen Berry, the hammer thrower, who already has sponsorship for speaking out against the country. She does not like the third verse of the national anthem, so that's why she covers her face and turns her back. Her Olympic effort is the link to this protest, and she is bringing the anti-patriotic tantrum to Tokyo. Number one. 
what was the origin of COVID-19? We've asked that question for more than a year and requested that the House majority hold hearings to investigate the origins of COVID-19. Perplexingly, Speaker Pelosi has refused to allow a single hearing, calling it a diversion. This is far from a diversion. Yeah, the lab leak theory is getting massive momentum as a key scientist now has been exposed to having links to the Chinese military. This begs the question, why are the Republicans the only party that seems to care? With me right now is a man who always has it in perspective, Britt Hume. Britt, for the longest time, Democrats and Republicans knew that the Soviet Union uh, were the enemy. How we'd approach it, how many missiles, how much missile defense, that was the key. But we can't even agree that finding out the genesis of the pandemic should be a bipartisan priority. Does that surprise you? Well, in this climate, it it doesn't because— uh, everything for the past several years has been about Donald Trump, one way or the other. And the reaction to COVID was certainly that. And he was blamed by his critics and opponents for the pandemic. And the idea that it originated in China, which is something he hinted at, was natu- had to be disagreed with because he was saying it. And it carries over to this day. It's amazing to me, Brian, when I look at the news, the, you know, the newspapers and 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 the wire stories and what what pops up on Twitter and elsewhere, is about Donald Trump. He's out of office. He's, you know, except for his rallies, he doesn't really have a, a platform anymore because they've been taken from him. And yet, the amount of news coverage about him is breathtaking. It's huge, constant. I, they you can't know, let go. They can't. And did you see the numbers too in terms of online activity as well as? Our numbers are just slightly down. We're winning by a lot, uh, and and you know CNN is it looks like headline news now. It doesn't even break a one, a one all day. We do better at five in the morning sometimes than they do at eight o'clock at night, and it's just a fact. But all numbers are down without Trump, and that's a fact. And we watch Stephen Colbert, a late night host, talk about Saturday's rally, the number one late night host with just a you know just getting a two. Carson's get about an eight. So he's getting, she's getting two. Just talk about Donald Trump's late night, uh, his uh, rally on Saturday, covered only by Newsmax. But the networks are reaching for something because they have to look away from what Joe Biden is producing, in my mind. I mean, this guy wrestles with the prompter like no one I've ever seen before. It's like he's never seen the copy. It's too far. He's not familiar with it. He gets confused. And we, there's radio silence about this. Yeah, it's remarkable how little coverage his condition, his obvious condition, uh, receives. He is, you know, he's he's the same age I am, and I know from my own experience that there, you know, there's memory loss and cognitive function is not as sharp as it once was, and I, you know, I'm too old to be president. Um, he's too old to be president, in my view, um, and that's a real story and a legitimate story, and it's staring us in the face day in and day out. We see him, you know, have these blank stares and obvious senior moments, and, and he makes these extraordinary misstatements and so on. Um, and, you know, the, the coverage of it is minimal at most. Um, I want to bring you to uh, back to the, the virus, if I can. NBC News is now reporting that it uncovered evidence linking this, this bat lady, the, the bat lady, Dr. Shi Zengali's virologist, from Wuhan to military scientists that she collaborated with. One guy's already died, and the other guy she collaborated with in 2019. Uh, this guy's name is uh, Dr. Zhou Yusen. Now, Zhou was listed as deceased in the footnote of the article, but the other one isn't. 
David Asher went on to say, who's a former State Department advisor, who's all over Josh Rogan's book, who wrote about this uh, last January uh, uh, of activity inside the lab that says he's confident the Chinese military was funding a secret program there. NBC is reporting this. How How is this not leading their own news? Well, for the, for the same reason you know, that we were discussing here, I give them credit for reporting it at all, um, because this is not a story that most of the news media have been interested in or liked, and they spent you know, the better part of a year ridiculing, uh, uh, scoffing at anybody who advanced the possibility that this, this, this ailment um, escaped from that lab. And, and you know, that continues to some extent. Uh, once Trump was out of office, that taboo was broken to some extent, and we've seen you know much more coverage of it and more, much more public recognition of the fact that, that there's a distinct possibility that this is where it came from. Um, but the but the story is not one that gets the coverage it has deserved all along. Uh, no, I, I 100% agree with you. See, the other big story is uh, crime, and I just look at the numbers. Uh, Britt Hume, these are Democratic mayors, $20 million cut from the Austin budget. You have $1.1 billion cut from the New York budget. You have um, well, $450 million cut from the LAPD budget. These are Democrats making this decision to cut money. And But the thing is, instead of this doing this story and saying that's a bad move, we know it's a bad move now. We're watching crime rise in almost every category. What do you think the internal polls are showing Democrats that have them so alarmed that they're trying to, number one, change horses and blame it on Republicans, and number two, say, we're going to come out and fight crime? Because you know they want no part of this. Well, it's look, it, it's plainly associated in the public mind with, the, with police forces being reduced, um, units within police forces being shut down, and the rest of it. And and there has been in many cities some real defunding of police departments. And, you know, we hear all this blather from the left about how we're going to have crime interrupters and, you know, who knows what other kind of professionals on the scene who are not cops. And, you know, this is this is politically absolutely poisonous. It always has been when the issues arisen. It's been a powerful issue for whichever party was able to appear to be on the right side of it. Um, mostly that's been the Republicans in the past. Uh, it will be the Republicans again. Uh, I think that, you know, the, the Democrats need to get a handle on the issue. Um, but to do that would, would be to suggest that a lot of the social programs, a lot of the spending and so on, uh, the defund the police movement, which many of them have supported, uh, hasn't worked. So obviously they're hesitant to do it. They'd rather pretend that there's no real crime wave or that the Republicans are to blame and all the rest of it. Um, so it's this is politically significant. And you, and you put it together, Brian, you know, the, the, the overall theme is lawlessness. Uh, you've got it in our cities now, and we have it at our border. And the border situation, if anything, is even more conspicuous because there's, there's nothing being done in any serious way to curb the flow of migrants, illegal migrants across the border. Nothing. I mean, it's all about root causes, which is, you know, a project for the future. Nothing really seriously to deal with the present. Absolutely. I just want to handle this breaking news because I know you can. Uh, the Trump Organization, according to the Wall Street Journal, and its CFO, Alan Weisselberg, are set to be charged today with tax-related crimes by the Manhattan District Attorney's Office uh, at some point today. Oh, excuse me, on Thursday. Uh, Weisselberg has been the subject. He's been interviewed before. Uh, the Manhattan District Attorney, of course, is Cyrus Vance, is going to be retiring uh, this fall. 
Um, so we'll see what's going to happen. Obviously, the target is Trump. And, and Brett, I'll just tell you, they would not even look at this guy if he didn't run for president, let alone win the presidency. This is this is absolutely targeting. They're not they're not going after a problem. They're going after an organization looking for a problem. How is this acceptable? Well, it shouldn't be acceptable if what you say is correct, and it, and, and it certainly appears to be. I mean, this idea that you pursue not crimes um, but people. Uh, that's not what our our judicial and legal system is supposed to be about. It's supposed to be about pursuit of crimes, and you end up investigating and even indicting you know, those responsible. You don't start out saying, we're after this guy, and we're going to find whatever we can. And then what happens is that people who work for him or who might be witnesses against him get in the crosshairs, and they end up either being threatened with indictment or indictment if they don't turn against the, the person involved. So that's what this appears to be about. Uh, how well their case will stand up in court against this guy remains to be seen. I'm skeptical, but we'll see. What they're trying to do, too, is hurt the company. I mean, obviously his name, 50 percent of the country, uh, 40 percent would take a bullet for him and 60 percent would hope the bullet kills him. So the country is very divided, and I'm sure his his corporations have paid a huge price for this, from his golf courses to the buildings he owned to the name that he had. Uh, so they're trying to bankrupt this guy. Well, and they're certainly doing what they can to try to resist him in every way that they can, and that's been going on for you know, for years, all through his presidency, you know, remember the effort to try to get, you know, the the, the anti-emoluments clause invoked against his hotel in Washington and all the rest of it. Those efforts have failed. I'm not at all sure, uh, Brian, what kind of shape his empire is in. Um, you know, he's he's a great believer in debt. His companies carry a lot of debt. Um, you know, as it comes due, it'll be interesting to see, uh, to the extent we can, uh, how well he's able to to, to continue to to cover that debt. Very interesting. I know. I mean, we don't know what it, I don't know what it's like to do business at that level, but a lot of it is. Uh, I'm going to buy this building, and I'm going to buy a building that looks that needs to be condemned in order to have a write off in order to take that money to build this. And you you give it to your accountants, and you work it out, and you 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 bought her. You know, we're not buying a house, paying off the mortgage, and taking that extra money and maybe putting a dormer on. This is a high end. That's why his taxes were not being let out, because most people do not do the type of business that he does. And part of his business is working within the tax structure. And the IRS never had a problem before. And now they have a problem. I think it's just a scary thing. I mean, I would feel the same way if Barack Obama was a was an international business person and the Trump and the Trump administration was going after him. I'd say, what are you guys doing? He's out of office. Leave him alone. Yeah, the, the anti-Trump mania has led to an awful lot of distortions in the way we do things, in the way we investigate crimes, in the way we cover the news, uh, and so on. And, you know, it's, it's, it's strained our institutions. Some of them have performed better than others, but in too, far too many cases, news media in particular, um, institutions have behaved very badly. Lastly, Governor Cuomo actually had a fundraiser as he goes to run for re-election. Here's a guy that's being investigated for using his own people to write his own pandemic book during business hours, unethical. Ten separate accusers on sexual harassment. I would think that is a that is a uh, five-alarm fire. Using his office to get his family, friends, donors, special access through the pandemic of testing, including his own brother. That's just off the top of my head. Yet he had CEOs and head of unions and 170 strong at a fundraiser. Brent, have you ever seen anything like this? A detachment in the Me Too era? Uh, it is 
evidence, if any were needed, that if you're in some kind of political trouble, uh, if there's a scandal swirling around you, it's good to be a Democrat. <laughs> Enough said. Fred Hume, always great to talk to you. Thank you, sir. Thanks, Brian. Always good to talk to you, too. All right. Uh, always puts it in perspective. one 408 At the bottom of the hour, Clay Travis talks about his conversation with President Trump yesterday. Also, he'll be talking about, he's got his own radio show um, uh, with Buck Sexton. He's also going to be talking about this new rule about to be voted on by the NCAA that's going to allow athletes in Division One programs to be able to sell their autograph, go to shows, represent different commercials online and about. They can have, they should, they will, according to Lee Steinberg this morning with us on Fox and Friends, soon 18-year-olds going to Alabama or the University of Nebraska will be having agents, and they'll need them. Coming to you on a need-to-know basis, because, man, do you need to know. You're with Brian Kilmeade. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The One with Craig Gutfeld, the co-host of The Five, like you've never heard him before. You know him, you love him, you want to be like him. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Do you regret these comments? I don't. I think it's really important to think back to the point that I was trying to make. Obviously, I was addressing Secretary of State Blinken. Uh, The cases are uh, put together um, in front of the ICC. I have obviously clarified and, you know, apologized uh, when I have felt that my words um, have, have offended. Uh, and it's really important, right, as I've explained to my colleagues, they have engaged in Islamophobic tropes. I have yet to receive an apology. Do you believe this? This congresswoman who hurt her party to the point where they actually had to rebuke her says, I have no apology. I do not regret it. And she and so the rest of the squad stuck up for her too. That's how, but that's how divided this is. A, this is uh, it's too bad. There's so much at at, at stake because to watch these Democrats uh, choke each other out has been fascinating. Ron, listening on KSLM in Salem, Oregon. Hey, Ron. Hey, my friend. Basically, everything you have said has been true, my brother. I mean, in Oregon, I have a representative that was expelled out of the House. We have the policy they went through, and without representation from my area, the Democrat Party of Oregon, along with the Marxist agenda, is pushing CRT, segregation, in my belief. I'm an American veteran who served the Navy 31 years ago, and in the process, pushing CRT, giving $100 million to for illegal alien health care while we have a drug addiction problem that they legalize and cause homelessness on the streets, letting Antifa tear up and everything in, around the state and no accountability, catch and release, and in the process, I have no representation, but they throw the man in, in for, for January 20th stop steal rally because he, and they did not give him, he was charged with two misdemeanors, but they expelled him without due process. This is not the America I sworn to protect and defend and serve, or my foster father was a disgusting who served through World War II, Korea, and Vietnam, clear up Auschwitz while he was in Vienna. 
Unbelievable. Ryan, Ryan, you brought up a great point I don't bring up enough. Everybody that crosses the border, especially these kids, they're going to get health care. They're going to get all the services. What about when they're upset that Republicans want to cut 1% off somebody who makes over a certain amount of money off? They're writing huge checks to people from other countries. We're giving them free schooling, free health care, giving them homes. While at the same time, we have no social services for ourselves. It is nuts. That's what the Democrats are doing. And, Ron, thanks for your service. Thanks for your family service. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. Radio that makes you think. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. I never said that I didn't want to... Go to the Olympic Games. That's why I competed and got third and made the team. I never said that I hated the country. Never said that. All I said was I respect my people enough to not stand or acknowledge something that disrespects them. I love my people, point blank, period. If you know your history, you know the full song of the national anthem. The third paragraph speaks to slaves in America, our blood being slain and and piltered all over the floor. It's disrespectful, and it does not speak for black Americans. It's obvious. There's no there's no question. Unbelievable. Uh, number one, I don't think she lived over 200 years ago. Number two is uh, my answers weren't even here uh, uh, in 17, uh, in, in 1814, uh, when the Battle of Baltimore took place and Francis Scott Key penned the poem, which became the national anthem. She's worried about the third verse in the national anthem. That's why she turns her back on the flag. I did not know that maybe some people are ascended by Hamilton. Uh, so I guess we're not we're just going to turn our back on Broadway. I, a lot of people don't believe with her interpretation of Francis Scott Key's poem is anyway. A lot of them say this refers to the Marines who were impressed by the British Navy, which started the war to begin with. Joining us now uh, to talk uh, more about this in the Grand Juncture uh, and so much more is uh, Clay Travis of Outkick. He's got his own great radio show, starts at noon, and he also is uh, seen all over the channel. Uh, Clay, welcome back. Appreciate you having me, Brian. Clay, what's your reaction to this uh, this uh, whirlwind around uh, Gwen Berry? Well, first of all, I think she's trying to cash a Colin Kaepernick check here, right? Um, she is a uh, third best hammer thrower. Nobody knows who she is, uh, and unfortunately, Nike set the precedent, Brian, that if you are a lightning rod who hates America and is willing to be controversial in that way, much like Colin Kaepernick was, you can get paid not based on your athletic ability, but based on your notoriety. And so I think what happened here is, uh, you know, candidly, she's not going to win a medal. She knows that she has uh, basically reached the end of her athletic career, and I think she's made a play for notoriety predicated on uh, the uh, disparagement of America. And unfortunately, like I said, we've set the precedent that that can pay really well, far better than an athletic career can pay uh, in reality. I guess so. I mean, the other two uh, that finished first and second do have uh, do have their own apparel deals. She's got she is supported by a program that that raises money to defund the police. So I guess they're doing exactly she's doing exactly what her supporters want. Yeah, and that's why on some level, Brian, you know, the the ultimate takeaway here that's unfortunate is 
the Olympics, of all things, are supposed to be a time when we can celebrate a national unity, when most Americans, regardless of race, gender, ethnicity, or breed, all gather around and root for American athletes to dominate over the rest of the world. And unfortunately, uh, look, IOC has their own policy in place that statements of politics uh, are not allowed during the Olympics, which you can understand, right? Because let's say that a Chinese uh, uh, Olympian decided to kneel after losing to during the playing of the American national anthem or vice versa. You could see how geopolitical tensions could get ratcheted up to a large extent uh, in what is supposed to be otherwise a, uh, a competition of athletes. And so uh, I think, unfortunately, a lot of American athletes are going to try to go the route that this woman has gone in this uh, in this political atmosphere that we're in right now. And I think what's unfortunate is a lot of these athletes don't realize that they are providing propaganda to communist and totalitarian dictatorships. Right. China didn't Vladimir Putin just say that didn't Vladimir Putin just say that. Yes, look, and Brian, these athletes need to understand that they think they're speaking out about American uh, failures. But for China, when they put all the propaganda together uh, and they show it to uh, all of their citizens, they're showing it as a weakness of America. Look, America's a racist country. They're trying to lecture us on the way that we behave. Look at what their athletes are doing at the Olympics. Would any Chinese athlete ever take no. a knee or disrespect their anthem? Of you course kidding? not. Their entire family would disappear. But they're going to use our behavior as propaganda for why America is failing. They will get shot on the podium. The other big story that, and I want to finish up by talking about this new composition of college sports, which could change today, uh, and it's dramatic, is uh, Scottie Pippen out of nowhere. Obviously bitter. Um, bitter reminds me of Joe Frazier after the fights with Ali. Never felt like he got the respect he needed uh, and deserved. Scottie Pippen feels that way. I don't think he should find one of the top 50 players of all time. But here's what he said about Phil Jackson. By saying a racial move, you're calling Phil a racist. I don't got a problem with that. Do you think Phil was or is? Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, do you remember Phil Jackson left the Lakers, went, wrote a book on Kobe Bryant, and then came back and coached him? Who would do that? You name someone in professional sports that would do that. I well, think he tried to expose Kobe in a way that he shouldn't have. You're the head coach, and you're the guy that sits in the locker room and tells the players, this is a circle, and everything stays within the circle because that's what team is about. But you as the head coach open it up, and now you go out and you try to belittle, at that time, probably one of the greatest players in the game. Really? I mean, if if you write a book, you're ra- about a black person that a black person is you're a racist. Look, uh, Scottie Pippen is a follower, right? I think he's a great player, but he needed Michael Jordan's leadership to excel and come into his own. Uh, and there's nothing wrong with that. But I think what Scottie Pippen is following here is the trend line of everybody and everything is racist. If Phil Jackson, the greatest coach of his generation is racist, then, uh, I mean, we've devalued, I think, already the standards of racism so low. Uh, he led a uh, the, the most entertaining team, honestly, I bet, for most of your listeners and certainly of my life, Brian. And so I think this is just uh, it's a bad one for Scottie Pippen. I think most of his teammates are rolling their eyes. And uh, I, I think, you know, 25-year allegations of racism after the fact being used as your justification it doesn't even make any sense, right? Like, how is it racist to write a book about Kobe Bryant? You can make an argument that maybe he shouldn't have done it because 
you don't like him violating in some way Kobe Bryant's trust. But really, that's for Kobe to be able to reference. And obviously, we can't hear from Kobe now. But I don't remember him ever saying a negative word about Bill Jackson at all uh, in terms of uh, his ability to get the utmost out of Kobe and certainly out of Jordan, two of the most iconic athletes of the, yeah. of our, our lives. Hey, Clay, no, no kidding. So Shaquille O'Neal, he went on to say Tony Kukoc getting the last shot that year that, that, uh, that Michael Jordan was playing baseball is racist because Kukoc, according to reports, is white. Um, and he did hit the shot. So I can't believe that. Uh, but here is Cut 11. Shaquille O'Neal was asked about this yesterday. Let's listen. I don't want to get involved with other people's beef, but Phil's definitely not a racist. But I do know in, in, in our line of work, he's coming out with a new drink. He's coming out with a new book. So maybe this is all marketing. I, I, I don't know. Can you imagine calling someone a racist to sell bourbon? I mean, could that actually be? Could, could that actually be the story? And that's what I did here, which Shaq is referring to. Yeah, it's funny. I didn't want to even mention that because I feel like then you're playing into, you know, I feel like, Brian, both these stories, right? People make outlandish accusations. People like you and me, obviously, and the people in the country are reacting to it. Then we come on and talk about it. And it's like we're getting played by people who are saying something that they know is 100% not true, designed to get a reaction to help them sell a product, either in the case of the, the hammer thrower herself or in the case of Scottie Pippen, his, uh, his new branded product that he's trying to get people uh, to go out and buy and make himself uh, somewhat relevant. So I want to be the last uh, sports uh, element of this, Clay. I'd like to have you comment about what's going to happen in college sports. It looks as though they're going to vote today, and the NCAA really has no choice but to allow athletes, Division I athletes, to make money off their likeness, whether it's uh, doing a car dealership 30-second commercial or signing autographs, which Johnny Menzel got, I think, suspended six games for, for charging for an autograph, uh, marketing deals, stuff they could do online. They're going to be allowed to do that from here on in. What else can you tell? What could college sports change to? Well, I mean, I think it's uh, it was already a default minor league. I think this kind of just makes it a minor league in general, Brian. I think a lot of guys are going to be disappointed. They're going to think that they have a value that they don't actually. Most fans know the quarterback. They may know a wide receiver. They may know a top defensive end who's sacking the quarterback a lot. Uh, But what I think is going to be interesting is how coaches are going to manage a wealth gap that suddenly emerges with 18- and 19-year-olds in the locker room. Uh, You know, how's the offensive line going to feel when the quarterback's making $400,000 a year uh, and they're making nothing, right? Uh, I mean, that's a, a level that pro sports has had to deal with from a coaching perspective for a long time. We haven't seen it in college. Um, and I think the ultimate impact is going to be relatively insignificant, uh, you know, because there's not that many players that are involved. But I do think it's fascinating to follow. Here's what Lee Steinberg told me this morning. Cut 42. Any player at the collegiate level can hire a marketing agent, which would be the same as a regular sports agent, and go ahead and start to brand themselves on social media and get revenue from endorsements, from Internet projects, and market themselves the same way they would when they get to the pros. Now, it will most dramatically impact players in high-interest sports. So you could imagine a quarterback like Jameis Winston or Johnny Manziel or uh, Tua Tungo-Vailoa would be big winners. Right. Uh, But to your point, Clay, the other ones won't be. And, for example, in Nebraska, where they live and die with the Cornhuskers, right? 
So all of a sudden, most of these CEOs, uh, you know what? You're going to be spying. Hey, the offensive lineman will come to our cut, come to our uh, university. The offensive lineman is going to be able to represent my car dealership. You're going to show up every Saturday. You're going to sign up autographs. You're going to be able to go to the local uh, athletic, you know, the athletic store, the sports authority in that neighborhood. So you could see now these uh, these supporters and these donors playing a major role in recruiting. Oh, no doubt. I mean, I, I think look, the, the argument has been. Brian, for a long time, that these guys are getting paid, many of the top recruits, under the table. Uh, what this will do is put it much more into uh, the prominent nature. I actually wonder on some level, too, whether it could mean that more talent is uh, distributed more evenly. And let me give you an example. Let's say you're a kid growing up in Hattiesburg, Mississippi. You're the best quarterback that's ever existed in Hattiesburg, Mississippi. Uh, but you're you know, a, a moderate recruit when it comes to a top uh, college program. Could you stay home at Southern Miss because there's a guy with a car dealership? Every college town's got you know, the Buddy Garrity from Friday Night Lights who might want to come around and glad hand and give you a little bit of money. Would a you know, lower-level Alabama recruit choose to be the top player at Southern Miss because he could make a couple hundred thousand dollars there? I think that'll be an interesting question. And then the big question, Brian, how many 18-year-olds are going to be smart enough to make rational decisions about this? <laughs> Who's going to be advising them? I don't I know. know you. Uh, it didn't take very much money for me to feel like I was rich when I was 18 years old. Uh, when suddenly you got several hundred thousand dollars on a college campus, um, I, I think, you know, more money, more problems, as uh, Notorious B.I.G. used to say back in the day. Uh, I, I wonder how much more of an issue this could create on college campuses as, uh, you know, young athletes suddenly flushed with cash you make a lot of dumb decisions when you're 18. You can get in a lot more trouble the more money you have sometimes. I think it'll be intriguing to watch. I get it. And lastly, we just had this news come over the last half hour. We said the Trump organization is going to get charged, according to the Wall Street Journal and their CFO specifically, uh, for some type of uh, uh, tax violation. And that could come down on Thursday, according to the Wall Street Journal. They've been investigating him for three years, Clay. We've never had a president in office being investigated. Now he's out of office being investigated for things that happened or didn't happen before he took office. This is a bad sign for the country, and I wish Democrats would understand that. Yeah, I think you're right, Brian. And also, you know, I'm sure, and certainly a lot of people out there listening know, the tax code is often as much of an as it is a science, by which I mean, if you give IRS agents yep. years to pour over a tax return, um, you know, there's a lot of different disagreements that can arise between this accountant and that accountant. I know people like to think of the tax code, if they haven't really been involved in it in an intimate degree, as something that is transparent and straightforward. The reality is it's all about interpretation. I did a little bit of tax law back in the day as a full-time practicing attorney. And, uh, you know, certainly I've had some experience with it over the years ahead. And it's a little bit like the NCAA. You know, if you let anybody come and look over every single thing that you've done publicly for years, you create opportunities uh, for malfeasance. And uh, I feel as if that is what is going on here, although I'll wait to see what the official charges are. I'm sure the defense is going to be, hey, our accountants told us this was okay to do. Um, and uh, and I think we'll just continue to be arguing like we already are. And Clay, by the way, what is more fun, being on TV, radio, or doing uh, being a tax attorney? <laughs> I'll tell you what, everything is more fun than being a tax attorney. <laughs> well, good luck today at noon, and uh, I look forward to talking to you again. Congratulations on all your success, Clay. 
Hey, I appreciate it, man. Appreciate y'all having me on. You got it. Uh, Clay Travis, thanks. Uh, when we come back, I'm going to finish up with you. one 408 7669 You listen to The Brian Kilmeade Show. Educating. Entertaining. Enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, publisher of The Federalist, and I'm inviting you to join a new conversation with the smartest thinkers out there about the country and where we're going. Subscribe to the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Well, he told me he's going to, and he's, uh, and I think he will. I had dinner with him a week ago. He's a great guy. He's a, uh, he's a patriot, and he's a very loyal person. He's a very strong person. Uh, so I think he'd win. I think it would be very, very hard to beat Herschel. I mean, they do. They have the ballad. They made ballads. <laughs> To Herschel, they sing him all the time. They still sing him. So I think beating him would be uh, very tough, and I think he's going to run. Well, that's interesting. The President of the United States said that yesterday on the radio, and, and he said about Herschel Walker, he's going to run. Now, look, is he likable? Yes. Is he comfortable in front of people? Absolutely. Does he got the tremendous charisma and name recognition off the charts in Georgia? What I worry about is the same thing I worry about when people get uh, into issues deeply. I mean, you saw with Caitlyn Jenner, as soon as you asked about the border, they talked generically. She's going to be going against somebody, a very smooth talker in Raphael Warnock, very comfortable on stage with Raphael Warnock. You will see him as a very good debater. There's no doubt about it. You, you see that. And I just hope Herschel knows the issues. I know he knows the moral issues. I know he knows the conservative tenets. And I know he believes what he believes. But there are things you got to drill down on. If he puts the studying in, Give you an example. Kamala Harris, as smart as she is with her rich background, she is never studies, it seems, or can't retain anything. Because when she gets in front of the camera, when she has a debate, she cannot withstand any pressure. My feeling is if you sit down with Jonathan Carl, if you choose, if you sit down with even the Atlanta Journal-Constitution local political reporter, they know stuff, deep, uh, deep things in Atlanta, deep things in Georgia. Where do you stand on Buckhead splitting away from Atlanta? Do you feel that this has a racial tone or quality to it? How do you do that without alienating some? What people always say, too, about politicians, if you're making the tough decisions, you're going to get some people angry. When you come and give your opinion, you're going to alienate some people. So my hope is that Herschel who has succeeded at everything he wanted to do, including martial arts at UFC uh, and football, obviously, and in his post-life. If he does it, I think a lot of people would be encouraged. But don't do a Sarah Palin and not put the work in. Uh, Or Kamala Harris. Put the work in. And I don't know who else is out there, but that'll certainly be intriguing. And, man, if if the Republicans want to take the Senate, I don't think you're going to do it unless you take back that seat in Georgia. You listen to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Go to briankilmeade.com right now and order Sam Houston, the Alamo Avengers, Thomas Jefferson, the Tripoli Pirates, or the President and Freedom Fighter. Pre-order that. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The Untold Story with Martha McCallum. The host of The Story on Fox News Channel sits down with major newsmakers each week to get their untold story. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. 
from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for being here, everybody. It's Brian Kilmeade coming to you from New York, heard around the country, heard around the world. Uh, a lot going on today. The Trump Organization, according to the Wall Street Journal, is going to be charged along with their CFO uh, by the Manhattan DA, Cyrus Vance, before he retires. Three-year investigation. They're still going after him on taxes. Uh, something to do with maybe perks that don't belong. Something to do with taxes. It's unbelievable. Political targeting. I never thought it was going to happen, especially at this level, for a former president being investigated in office about something that has something to do, nothing to do with getting in office or being in office, all about political targeting and trying to make a name for yourself. We know the attorney general, she ran on that. And we know Cyrus Vance has been looking at this. Uh, grand jury's been impaneled. Unbelievable. To do business at that level and have your tax scrutinized, taxes scrutinized like that simply because you ran for office, I believe this whole thing's going to boomerang, especially if things are going to be like, well, he got an apartment instead of payment or use uh, government, use uh, organization funds to pay for private school. Really? It's a multi-billion dollar company. And you're upset that some kid went to St. Anthony's? That's really not political. Also, just real quick before we get to the big three, and Martha McCallum's going to join us this hour. Uh, before I get to the big three, this uh, this catastrophe which is happening with the mayoral elections. You know what they did in in New York? And I only bring this when it becomes a national story, but Eric Adams has the most votes so far. It's taken them forever to cancel to find out who won this Democratic primary. Curtis Sliwa easily won the Republican nomination. Democrat waited to win. But Eric Adams, turns out his lead got smaller. So he looked at it. He said, how did I lose my lead as people keep, you know, we looked at 800,000 votes. I had a substantial lead. Now it's down to two. Turns out the election, the New York City election board counted the test votes. They were testing the system before. They left the tallies in the system. And then they counted the real tallies. The whole thing's a farce. I don't know where they're going to go from here because it's all electronic. Let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Not only do we need to defund, but we need to dismantle and start anew. I am for defunding the police. The bill could help ensure uh, local cops were kept on the beat in communities across the country. As you know, didn't receive a single Republican vote. Yes, exactly. Republicans wanted to fund the police. Really? And everything up is down. Unbelievable. Crime control. Not possible if you're a Democrat and not possible not to get the Americans America's attention when you don't feel secure leaving your house, especially the most vulnerable communities. So Democrats realizing they're losing this one decide to blame the other guy not going to work. Number two. If you know your history, you know the full song of the national anthem. The third paragraph speaks to slaves in America. It's disrespectful, and it does not speak for black Americans. It's well, obvious. There's no there's no question. Gwen Berry, now the hammer thrower that everybody knows that didn't even get gold. Gwen Berry does not like the third verse of the national anthem, so she turned her back on the flag, denying uh, uh, police groups funding. She, uh, she actually gets... Um, she actually gets funding from a police group that does not want to fund police from an anti-police group, I should say. Her Olympic efforts uh, should be the story, but instead it's about her protest. Sad. Number one. What was the origin of COVID-19? We've asked that question for more than a year and requested that the House majority hold hearings to investigate the origins of COVID-19. Perplexingly, Speaker Pelosi has refused to allow a single hearing, calling it a diversion 
This is far from a diversion. It isn't. The lab leak theory uh, is gaining massive momentum. Kazakhstan scientists now have been exposed to having links to a Chinese military. In fact, two Chinese military scientists. This begs the question, why are the Democrats not interested? So NBC has this story. NBC uncovered evidence linking uh, that Batwoman, Dr. Batwoman, the Zengali virologist from Wuhan, linking her to two military scientists. One died. One's still alive. We don't know what he died of. David Asher, a former State Department person, co-authored a fact sheet on January on activity inside that lab, told NBC News that he's confident the Chinese military was funding a secret program. Was it a big mistake? Is that why they don't want to admit to it? Because the Chinese military doesn't even want to admit they're building islands in the middle of the South China Sea? Regardless, Democrats should be just as interested as Republicans, and they are not. And we'll see where this goes, because... If they don't uh, find a way to get uh, Democrats involved, these House hearings are not going to go anywhere because they're run by the minority. How fascinating is it? Tony Fauci said that what I love about Joe Biden, I could do anything I want. I could do any place I want. They don't care. They give me free reign. Anthony Fauci can run the place because President Trump's administration, he says, was holding him back. Remember that? Well, yesterday he could not find time to appear in front of a Republican inquiry, House committee, about the origins of the virus. He just could not find time. I can't blame him. He's got a pandemic to control. Oops, it's under control. He's got to make sure a vaccine got out. It already got out. they got to get a marketing campaign to push it forward. That's already out. Why doesn't he have time? Well, it turns out he was busy. When everybody else was testifying on Capitol Hill, and we could have used a real expert, that's what he calls himself, Here's what Dr. Fauci was doing. Cut 22. Hi, Allison. How are you? Fine, thanks. How are you doing? I'm doing really great. I am so incredibly excited to be able to have the chance to speak with you. If you don't know Allison Holker, you don't watch So You Want to Dance. So you think you can dance. She she is one of the judges. So he was able to do her Instagram interview that posted yesterday. Meanwhile, there's substantial testimony going on. With experts talking about more and more evidence showing that this virus, the pandemic that launched, that you told us would not be a problem. You told John Casamitidis out of 77 WABC. Here's Admiral Brett Giroir, cut 19. There will be other pandemics in the future. And if there's something we need, not just Congress, and I know you need it, but the American people in the world needs it, is truth and transparency and openness and trust. And when public officials who are supposed to have our trust, don't show up to members of Congress. I think that's a problem. And that is Anthony Fauci, who will do any interview possible, never turns him down. Meanwhile, while we have everybody locked down, stay home, don't be selfish, wear a mask, don't wear a mask, wear two masks, wear goggles, wear double mask inside while I'm talking after I'm vaccinated. This guy's doing every interview in the world. How could he be studying anything? while going out of his way to marginalize anyone who says it's a lab leak. Cut 21 is Dr. Marty McCarry. I just want to remind you, with Dr. McCarry, who is uh, as credible as the day is long, said to us, cut 21. I mean, it's been exhausting. And I'm, you know, I'm one guy. There's a lot of doctors who believe in this. But we can't compete with Dr. Fauci on every single network 10, 14 hours a day, Brian. I mean, there'll be a podcast that invites me on. My staff will look at it and say, you know, Marty, there's only 12 listeners and three ratings on iTunes. 
this is not worth your time, and we're going to decline for you. And then I find out Dr. Fauci was on there. I mean, this guy, we can't, can't compete with this. Is that incredible? These doctors are just trying to give people information. You have another guy who wants to be crowned a star. Congressman uh, James Comer was there from Kentucky. He was on with uh, Laura's show last night, who I think uh, Judge Janine filled in for. Cut 23. Every country's concerned about it, but China has such a grip on many countries and a lot of countries uh, because they don't want to be uh, fall into the trap that they would have to agree with President Trump are are trying to do wow. things behind the scenes. And I think that that's a big part of the problem. The, the, the world leaders, uh, many of whom didn't like Trump because he stood up to them. He wanted them to pay their bill to the United Nations and other World Health Organization type entities. And I, I think that they realize yeah. now that President Trump was right. Yeah. We had four expert witnesses here. Every witness testified to the fact that there was overwhelming evidence that started in the lab yeah. and that the theory that it was started from animals just by nature is yeah. not possible. Hmm. Hey, and that's the more we learn. You know, they're breaking it down into a way in which I can even understand when they're talking about sequencing. So CBS did a package, and I always like to point out when other networks, NBC, for example, is the one who established this link between the uh, the bat lady, the doctor bat lady who's obsessed with bats. Remember they told us Wuhan didn't have any bats? Then video emerged that they had bats uh, because how could they have a bat virus escape if they have no bats? Oops, they have them. CBS did this story. I want to share some of it about the lab leak theories and the legitimacy behind it. Cut 25. The lab leak hypotheses are absolutely legitimate. They are plausible. Relman told CBS News the Wuhan lab housed a vast library of bat coronaviruses, including specimens from the caves. They weren't just studying these viruses. They were actually collecting samples from nature in the largest number with the greatest diversity of almost any place on the planet. 17 months ago, as COVID-19 went global and even less was known about the virus, a group of scientists labeled the lab leak theory a conspiracy. The letters that made very defiant or firm statements about the strong likelihood of a natural origin, I think, did some real harm. They forced a lot of people into a one way of thinking. Yeah, and we watch it now. At least they're admitting it. I don't know why more people aren't covering it. I mean, in a, in a cycle that you have that tragedy in Miami, I get it. That's a huge story. But there's not a lot of major stories. Now we're not in the middle of an election so why wouldn't you spend more time on the origin? Because it's not clear that it's a Republican or Democrat, and everybody knows we are not to blame. You might poke huge holes in Anthony Fauci and the stiff arm and the Heisman we all got for going down there and the way social media rallied to whatever he said, which is scary. Cut 26 more. Among the findings that researchers at the Wuhan Institute of Virology became sick with COVID-19-like symptoms in the fall of 2019, before the Chinese Communist Party went public with the virus. Fife said the information was solid and credible. The U.S. government's information on this, uh, on this fact, on the lab workers being ill, was completely high confidence. State Department investigators also found the Wuhan lab had military ties and did high-risk research on coronaviruses. They're hiding lab records. They're hiding medical records. CBS News has also learned that one of the U.S. government's top labs, Lawrence Livermore, issued a classified report last year that found the lab leak theory was plausible. We read it and we were uh, instantly uh, 
both alarmed and impressed by his quality, uh, but alarmed by his conclusions. Until five months ago, David Asher headed a coronavirus task force at the State Department. What I can say is that it was important and persuasive. We needed to do deeper due diligence, including the potential that it came out of a lab. Okay, that's Catherine Herridge. Obviously, I think she's fantastic. Always did, especially when she was here. Uh, she's not going to back off. She's not going to be scared. And she doesn't care if someone says, well, this is what Trump thinks. Because a lot of times Trump's instincts turned out 120% right. When we come back, Martha McCallum will be here. We'll be able to squeeze in some calls. one 866 We're still, uh, we're talking about crime in America. We're talking about Gwen Berry and our hatred of America. It seems my word. She said she doesn't. But I heard disavowing of this country is, comes in loud and clear. How is actually helping her career? Did we know about her two days ago? No. Bet you she benefits. Sadly, all the wrong reasons. Brian Kilmeade Show. Listen and pick up on some things you didn't know before. You're with Brian Kilmeade. New from the Fox News Podcasts Network. My name is Kennedy, and welcome to my podcast, which will, I humbly say, single-handedly save the world. You're welcome. It's Kennedy Saves the World. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Who they're hurting and who these people always hurt are those who those who look up to athletes like this, those who don't have a family, don't have fathers. Uh, they're going to grow up hating our country because they see their heroes hating our country. So, yes, they're hurting an entire generation, particularly of those, uh, those, uh, those folks who are at risk. The black community are learning through these kind of people that this country is not for them. And that's the worst message you can give to anyone in a country that gives so much so much freedom and opportunity. Utah Congressman Burgess Owens, uh, drafted by the Jets, won a Super Bowl with the Raiders, now representing Utah. Talking about, uh, and as a black guy, they said, when I left the game, I had to go back and I had to sweep chimneys and work my way up again because we didn't make much money then. When you got out of school, when you got out of the NFL, and he worked his way up, we became a very successful businessman, and we've all had a chance to hear from Burgess, and if you're lucky enough to talk to him, Martha McCallum's here. Martha, you knew Burgess Owens, right? Yeah, you're, he's great, very inspiring, great guy. And you're great a football guy. family. I am. But he's referring to Gwen Berry and the hammer throw. We're doing, we're doing, we're doing the Kaepernick story again. Yeah, you, you know, part of me wants to not wants to ignore this story. I, I think about Deanna Price, who broke all these records, who was also standing, like, she's sort of, like, cut off in the pictures that you see because all of the attention went to this young woman. Um, people are allowed to protest. People are allowed to say what they think. Um, but the bottom line is that, you know, she is she's leaving this country to compete in the Olympics to represent our country. And I think, you know, one of the things that's really disturbing me about this story and also about the archive story uh, is a piece that keeps sticking in my head that I read in the New York Post about this group of black parents who've gotten together in New York City because they've figured out that w- while their children get $28,000 per child spent on their school system, they have like the lowest rate of success in just getting the basic passing the basic levels of math and English. So while the suburbs are, you know, spending like $16,000 per student, right, they're getting $28,000 per student, and they have this incredibly low outcome. So they have bad administrators that, you know, they're they're not being taught well. This is actual, if you want to really find systemic racism, look at some of these institutions, the Department of Education. So now they're suing, these black families are suing the Department of Education in New York based on Brown versus Board of Ed, saying we're being discriminated against because we're not 
our kids are not getting a good education and we're paying our tax dollars. We're doing everything we can. We want more choice. We want more ability. So like, give me a break. When I look at these murals on the walls, when I look at pictures of, of George Washington and I look at, you know, Gwen Berry, who's upset about the third stanza that no one would even know existed in the, sta- in the Star Spangled Banner unless you dug into it and looked it up and, you know, read about it. I'm thinking, why aren't these people caring about things that are actually making a difference in kids, in, in black children's lives, in places like New York City where they're getting ripped off of their taxes and they're not getting what they they're not getting what they're paying for in return she probably has a great story i mean i'm just reading about to be a hammer throw and to be the third best at anything whether you're skating absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. we of course celebrate that yeah of course you know how hard she must have worked i don't think anyone's absolutely. naturally a hammer thrower so you you have this nondescript sport that doesn't get much attention track and field doesn't get much attention even the the fastest man in the world you know you win the men's sprints you know you get you have a brief moment so and then true. you hope to be a commentator so she has this moment. She is sponsored now by a defund the police organization. The first and second place winner have Reebok and, and normal apparel. Right. So this is what she wants to be known for. This right. is she's going to be a magnet. So it's in working. Tokyo. This is a social media campaign that's working. You're saying? I'm not saying it's not inauthentic. This is what I'm trying to say. Is I always thought with about sports and in a way which is confusing about acting. Uh, it's meritocracy. You could be Clint Eastwood's son, but if you can't act and you can't do it, I'm not putting Absolutely. you in the movie, right? And if Absolutely. you and if you you might be the the son of the best sprinter in the world. If you do not qualify, you're not getting in. That's what is confusing about the acting world because you starve and you work three jobs in order to get that audition, to work your way up, to get that lucky break, to get on the set, and you got to perform great and they got to get box office success. You look around and go, man, look at everything I sacrificed. I lived on somebody's couch for six months. I, I, that is the American dream. You wouldn't be handing out everybody's money to everybody else. No. I mean, it's absolutely true. That's why it's befuddling that she she feels this way. She got this this amazing opportunity. Um, But, you know, I I just keep going back to the fact that what – the the questions about the struggles and when when pressed on it, she went to the Star Spangled Banner. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Is that all you got? Yeah, is that all you got? Exactly. Like the murals and the archive walls. Is that that all you've got? Because there are real stories around this country that if you really care about the remaining indifferences and injustices, which of course do exist, um, then then you should be focusing on something that's really going to make a difference in people's lives. When we come back, Condoleezza Rice commented on this three weeks ago on this very topic as race and education will lead off when Martha comes back, and then we're eventually going to find out who's on Martha's show at three. Great. Living the Bream is a podcast hosted by Fox News Channel's Shannon Bream, sharing inspirational stories, personal anecdotes, and an insider's perspective on actions and rulings from the high court. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. I want kids to know about Tulsa. I also want them to know what that black community did to overcome that horrible massacre. I want them to know about 63 in Birmingham, but I want them to know that the mayor of Birmingham today is a black man who grew up in a poor community. So I want them to see the forward progress of America as well on these issues. And I want us as a country to do it together because uh, I don't want this to be Black against white, my weaponization of my identity against yours. Why does it? Why is it? She put it so easily yeah. and so naturally. That used to be our conversation, Martha. Up until 
I think it, I don't necessarily think he was behind it, but until President Obama became president, instead of uh, the foot getting off the gas and us reflecting and moving forward rapidly, we seem to be tearing at each other. And I think part of it was, in my humble opinion, is when you were critical of the president, all of a sudden, oh, it's because he's black. Hmm. No. Have you been watching our show? I mean, have you watched our network? Do you criticize George Bush because he was white? Did you criticize Bill Clinton because he was white? Uh, I mean, it was all of a sudden people are questioning your motives. Um, I remember somebody came up to me and said, do you think President Obama won because the economy was going so bad that he would, everyone knew he would fail? Really? <laughs> are you kidding? He oh won gosh. in a landslide. I mean, he won easily against yeah. a war hero. Absolutely. I mean, I always thought just watching no just watching Barack Obama as a politician, I remember thinking back then, I remember thinking when he gave the speech in Boston that he would be the first black American president of the United States. He was that dynamic in that speech. And nobody was going to, I don't think anybody could touch him. I think he could have run against anybody and he was destined to win in that election. Um, it's also interesting when you listen to some of what David Axelrod has said about his feelings about being the first black president, Obama's feelings, and the discussions and the way they wanted to approach it. And they didn't want it to be all about that. So I wonder if there wasn't sort of like an overcompensation on the other side of the equation at times. Um, I, I can't get in his head. I don't know. But, you know, th this idea of the pain and the progress that Condoleezza Rice talks about, yeah. that's what we were all sort of always raised to focus on as a unified country, that we've been through painful times, that um, individuals and races have had difficult times, religions have had difficult times, that we that we, that we look at the pain and we yeah. we acknowledge the pain and then we acknowledge the progress and we keep getting our, making ourselves better all the time as part of that journey. So uh, I I thought uh, I just thought Mohanalisa Rice had this because you were talking about education too. She brought this up. Can we finally agree that our uh, K twelve education system is really serving poor kids and and minority kids uh, very badly? Can we agree that uh, we actually have a choice system? Because if uh, you uh, are of means, you will move to a district where the schools are good. You will go. Uh, and by the way, the houses will be expensive. So that's a choice. You can send your kids to private schools. So those are choices. So who really doesn't have choice? Poor kids. That to me is the conversation to move forward, right? Is anyone vilified? Did, did, did a white person have to stand up I'm and saying. apologize for 200 yes. years ago? This is what I'm saying. This is why when we talk about Black Lives Matter, I'm talking about these school children who are getting essentially robbed yeah. because they have more tax dollars coming their way than the other higher functioning schools get. And yet they are being so underserved. Why isn't there more outrage about this? There was one Democrat candidate in New York, Ray McGuire, who was interested in this topic, wanted to expand, wanted to lift the cap. There's a cap on charter schools, right? It's and, it's, and it's all and you know driven by the is. unions. Absolutely. Yeah. They don't want people to have choice. But the yet unions black don't families want people to have choice. and minority families want more they charter schools. They want the charter schools and they want the choice. And this organization that has just been founded in New York is made up of mostly black families who are going to sue the Department of Education in, in Manhattan for what they have done Absolutely. to them. And this, this, so this is a real issue, right? That people who are concerned about minorities and about equal treatment in this country that they should get on board with. But Ray McGuire, who was fighting for this as a Democrat candidate, he couldn't get anywhere. Why? My guess is that he couldn't get the backing of teachers unions, couldn't get backing uh, on all of these of all of these, you know, traditionally Democratic groups. Um, and he went nowhere.
So, so you know, what do these families do? What Do they look to different options politically in the future? We saw that happen in Florida in the governor's race between Ron DeSantis and, um, the, and the Tallahassee mayor, Andrew Gillum, who was against choice, and DeSantis was for sense? it. DeSantis yeah. was for it, and he won because he got a lot of minority support that hadn't gone to a Republican before in Florida. So this is a really big issue to watch in these races across the country. And it just it really gets under my skin when I watch people complain about a stanza of the Star-Spangled Banner or a mural that has been there for hundreds of years. Let, let's talk about real things. And what you're talking about is the National Archives itself said that we have too many rich white guys and we feel as though they're going to be triggering to be they're going to trigger people when you see yeah, these you horrible people like Madison, Washington and Jefferson and Hamilton, these rich so white screwed. guys. I, I, uh, but but I, it wasn't somebody commenting to the National Archives. It was the National Archives. Yes, I know. I know they they built a task force and they want to have a room like a safe space if you get triggered by that mural when you walk in the door. I mean that Jefferson wrote the date. And there's nothing wrong with, like, you know, adding to our history of Absolutely. learning more, right? You know, learning more about about individuals and groups that were involved that you feel, you know, deserve a more prominent voice. Tell those stories. Tell all those stories. Um, but we don't get anywhere by tearing our history down. Um, we have an extraordinary country. There's a reason why so many people want to come here. It's a great country. It's a great constitution. Uh, it stands for all of us. So, you know, I, I just see I see a lot of falseness in so much of this about really caring about making the country so, better. Right. So when Barry, for example, we don't know much about her. You know, we but we know this. She's getting a lot of publicity because of what she didn't do. And that is face the flag and give respect to the national anthem. And we're not really buying her antics uh, uh, afterwards. She went on another television network and expanded on it. I thought Megan McCain, and we won't play all of it, I thought she put it very well. Cut 10. The problem I have is this woman is doing this internationally, and if anyone just saw Vladimir Putin's recent uh, speech when he met with President Biden, he's using the propaganda that America is an irredeemable crap hole against us, saying, you think your country's so great over there? Look at BLM. Look at everything that's happening in your country. You don't even treat your people correctly. My other problem with this is I don't understand why we all can't have shared experiences in this space or have our own stories, because for some reason, my relationship with the flag isn't allowed anymore. My love of, of the American flag, my love of the national anthem. So excuse me if I don't think some of these athletes are representing America in the same way. And for some of us, I will die for this. I will die on this hill that it is not appropriate or patriotic to go to a foreign country where you're supposed to be representing America and act like it's just about you. It's not about you. It's about all of us. I mean, it's hard to put it better than that. No, it is. Yeah. I, I, I agree. And I think, you know, what she touches on at the end there is something that we really have to reflect on as a nation. We've become this hyper-individualized country where everything is about me and everything is about my potential trigger and, you know, what I might need to do to sort of get back into the right psychological frame of mind if something triggers me. How, you know, how weak are we? I As agree. a people. I mean, how, you know, and you know what? I, I look at the heroes of World War II. I lost a good friend uh, this week who fought at Iwo Jima. He was an incredible guy, 96 years old. And, you know, he, he wasn't sitting around, you know, whining about anything that, that was, you know, difficult or inconvenient for him. He was fighting for his country. He came back. He was a great patriot for his entire life and because it wasn't about him. It was about something bigger than him, right? And, and John McCain always said that, you know, that, that what, what he wanted to serve was something bigger than himself. And that when you do that, when you have that focus in your life, um, 
everything becomes easier because you have you have a clear goal. It's not about you. I mean, the me generation has just completely exploded into something that's just so so divisive and ugly for our country. We need to start being about something that's bigger than ourselves. And the one the first time I heard this whole phrase about you know safe spaces and yeah. Was after Donald Trump won in 2016. Mm-hmm. It was in every college campus had a, had a safe Triggered space, and they would bring puppies in. Yeah, they had bring puppies in for them to just decompress. But I mean, we, and we're accepting that now. Now, now the National Archives wants a safe space because you looked at Thomas Jefferson, who happens to be brilliant. Can we just say without the these weren't just guys in the Bible place at the no. right time. They came up with this brilliant idea in their 30s and had the guts to sign their name on a document that if they lost, they would die. They were all going to die, right? Benjamin Franklin, 70 years old, was going to hang, right? They're willing to do that. Instead of studying that element of it, listen, I heard, I guess you know that uh, Thomas Jefferson had slaves over 200 years ago, born into that society. We have changed significantly. We know it since and fought a war because of it. Uh, and lost six hundred thousand lives along the way. You explain that story. You don't. You're not whitewashing. You're not spinning. And slavery wasn't the issue of the founding fathers. Um, it was an issue that they debated when they when they wrote the Constitution um, in terms of whether or not they could abolish slavery with that document. They had a big battle over it um, and decided that you know it would likely not pass. They, they needed to move it to, you know, move it down the road, which which many of them regretted and wrote about um, in, you know, in their personal histories after that. Um, it, it was clearly an issue of discussion, but it wasn't it wasn't the driving force of the creation of the nation to preserve it at all. At all. Uh, you wouldn't believe that if you read the New York Times this summer. When we come back, Martha McCallum will reveal who's going to be on her show and who's not. Tell me, well, so we should focus on who's not on your show. I well, think Brian, not kill me. me tonight. It's not on my show. Right. How dare I? <laughs> How um, dare you? Um, yeah, people not on your show. We'll have them call in. Maybe maybe they'll make cameos. Uh, we'll give you the latest. There's a couple of things going on. There's another um, uh, four more victims were found in that sad story about the condo collapse over in Miami. We also have the Wall Street Journal reporting that the uh, Donald Trump CFO and the Trump Organization will be indicted uh, this week by a grand jury that's been investigating him for three years, the Manhattan DA. What a joke. Don't move. Educating, entertaining, enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. Well, he told me he's going to, and he's, uh, and I think he will. I had dinner with him a week ago. He's a great guy. He's a, uh, he's a patriot, and he's a very loyal person. He's a very strong person. Uh, so I think he'd win. I think it would be very, very hard to beat Herschel. I mean, they do, they have the ballad. They made ballads <laughs> to Herschel. They sing them all the time. They still sing them. So I think beating him would be uh, very tough, and I think he's going to run. President Trump yesterday uh, on the radio talking about Herschel Walker running against Raphael Warnock in that run in the election in 2022. Martha McCallum here. Her show starts at 3. Uh, Martha, I know you have Governor DeSantis on. We'll get to that in a second, but I want to get your reaction to... I'm pretty sure Herschel indicated the same thing last week. Do you think he'll be a good candidate? I think so. I, I think that'll be a very interesting race. Um, you know, it, it, the Georgia race was was like you could, you could make a movie about the Georgia race, right? Oh, what happened in Georgia um, and the fact that in the middle of the January 6th issue, 
uh, you ended up with two seats that were lost all within like 24 hours of each other. I mean, that that, that was a 24, 36-hour period that um, really could, could have an entire book written about it. Um, but Herschel Walker, I think, would be a very interesting candidate to run against Warnock. And I think um, I think it's something that we would all want to watch really closely. They have a very different perspective. And, and a lot of it goes back to a lot of the things that we've been talking about earlier, about education, about how to improve the country, about how to elevate people who, um, you know, who need more support, more opportunity. And they have completely different, completely different ways of going about that. Right. It's true. I just hope Herschel does a studying that Sarah Palin didn't do, that Kamala Harris never does. going to have to. Uh, Absolutely. You know, and, and you see Caitlyn Jenner seems out of her element in almost every issue besides mm-hmm. instinct. Yeah, that, uh, you know, that, that, that's, that's a really important point. Um, you, you know, he's people, learn you, it. you have to know your stuff. You can't just come on and, you know, have a bunch of sort of prepackaged sound bites that you want to, that you want to reel out. You have to be nimble. You have to be able to respond to the issues. Um, and I found the same thing. Yeah. Before we get to more to know, your show, Governor DeSantis, makes his first appearance. You think he's, uh, of course, everyone's going to be talking about the condo collapse. Yeah. I, I mean, that's obviously the, the biggest issue on his mind at this moment as we learn more about the structure in that building and the inspections and even the debate that was going on among the residents about whether or not they wanted to be part of this bond that was going to spend millions of dollars to fix the building. I mean, you, the more you learn about this situation, the more you realize that there were a lot of people who saw what happened and said, not surprised. Wow. Uh, just, and I would ch- they're checking 400 buildings down to make sure yeah, that's... We're going to talk to Governor DeSantis. We're also going to talk to Tom Cotton uh, today. So we have a good show coming up. It's going to be great. Uh, at 3 o'clock, it'll end around 4 or whenever Martha's done. <laughs> Let's find out if Martha wants to know more. Always. More to know. Sponsored by Oxford Gold Group. Call today to learn how you can protect your retirement and savings account. 833-600-GOLD. That's 833-600-GOLD. We watched... Mike Tyson come out of retirement and have a, a mini fight. He had two-minute rounds against Roy Jones Jr., made a lot of money. He said for charity, and he said he's going to do it again. Guess who else is coming out? 53-year-old ex-two-time champ Riddick Bowe. I actually think he was having mental problems, one of the reasons why he quit. I uh, was 43-1. and one. Celebrity Boxing announced he will fight somebody in Miami October, excuse me, yeah, October 23rd. What do you think about these fighters coming back? Um, Do you remember? I, I, this Bo? is more to know, so I'm learning more <laughs> as we speak about this. I think. Are you gonna? Maybe he's gonna fight you. I'm, I'm, he's six six. Are you guys the same he's age? He's about two fifty. We're we're around the same age, <laughs> uh, but I don't think it's weight class. I mean, very good point. Next, soccer legend Mia Hamm's rookie card sells for how much? I don't. I didn't know, I didn't know they I'm had learning cards. so much this morning. Thirty-four thousand four hundred forty dollars. Wow. Most expensive, fee- expensive female card ever. The 1992 Sports Illustrated of a kid's rookie card graded are a perfect ten. Uh, and because everybody loves her, uh, she was the best player ever for a while. Maybe the best player ever to play 158 goals. Congratulations, Mia Hamm. It's a good time to be a woman. It is a good time to be a woman. Next. I agree. AOC <laughs> is shoving a $70 billion Civilian Climate Corps bill through Congress. AOC is doing that. Uh, she says that's the only way for us to get a hold of this climate change. The last time the U.S. did this, we employed 2 million people and had a record success in wildfire suppression. One of the most rapid peacetime mobilizations in U.S. history. She wants to do the same. Is this a good move? Uh, you know, she she also says that um, we, we should check our hysteria about the crime wave in the country. So um, I, I think her credibility is a little bit in question. Next, Serena Williams. Did you see what happened with her? No. She teared up as she could oh, not move yes, anymore. Oh, yes, I did. She Standing ovation. In. I know. Right. Yeah, but she She's had already injury. played for so long. Usually they're done by 30. I know. She's incredible. She's right. incredible. But she's do you like the, the ovation she got to urge her on, but she eventually had to walk off the court? So many great mm-hmm. players, so many great injuries. You're Rebel against injuries, right? I'm against injuries, yeah. 
Wimbledon is a great, great tournament and so much fun to watch, and I, I wish her well. Next, Kevin Federline. This you'll like this story. Kevin Federline, who once married Britney Spears, may request an evaluation before Britney Spears' conservation uh, con- uh, conservatorship, conservatorship comes to an end. You think he's right to do so? Well, I mean, they share children, and right. I think that he has the right to weigh in. And why did you say you're going to like this story? Because you you told me this is a big story. Oh, well, I'm interested in the whole conservatorship issue. Yeah, right. that's true. I mean, it's kind of weird when you have a 40-year-old who has made a ton of money on her own accord, on her own steam, and her own talent, and she has all these people, ex-husband, father, everybody weighing in. Boyfriend. on whether And boyfriend on, on what she can do, how she can spend her money, what she can, you know, whether or not can she, she can have, have children. Kids? It's unbelievable to me. Right, and her dad evidently disappeared living in a trailer. I know. And her sister came out and said um, that she supports her. So, that, you know, now she's driven a wedge between herself and her parents. The mother's, like, oddly quiet in yeah, the whole thing. There's a lot of wedges in that family. Yeah. I, mean, I mean, it's not easy. And they're not all on her shoes. They, yeah, they, yeah, they get up in the morning and there's a lot of wedges laying around. <laughs> Next, guess what? Fans are outraged that Howard Stern is taking off the summer. He got $500 million from Sirius XM to work three days a week. Now he's taking off for three months. Are you outraged as well? I guess if I was uh, a listener, I might be a little bit peeved, but that's what happens when you pay people too much money. They, they feel like they don't have to show up. Right. For us. Like you. That's what happened with you, right? Then the thing is, that's good because <laughs> I keep up showing all up. all the time, hour uh, after hour so after hour. So do you. I've seen Brian's you everywhere. very hardworking, right. as am I. And, um, this music means that I think the only thing you have to look forward to now is to prepare for three hours for your show at 3 o'clock. Thank you. I'm right. looking forward to that. Hey, uh, go to uh, BrianKilmeyShow.com. You get the podcast anytime. Watch Martha at 3. And stay safe, everyone. Keep it here on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Thanks, Brian. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, subscribe and listen to the Trey Gowdy Podcast. Former federal prosecutor and four-term U.S. congressman from South Carolina brings you a -a one-of-a-kind podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.